Hi, and welcome to the Black Mum to Midwife podcast. First up, disclaimer. I'm a student midwife, so therefore I'm nowhere near qualified to giving any sort of medical advice. If you do have any issues or worries, please contact your GP, midwife or other healthcare professionals. Now that's out of the way, let's get on with the show. Welcome to another episode of the Black Mum to Midwife podcast. I am your host, Chelsea, the Black Mum to Midwife. So let's get straight into what's been happening. So, um, so the last update I gave was actually really outdated. So I've got quite a lot of things that have actually happened. Um, the first, I'll just do a quick uni update. Um, I have recently just started my postnatal ward placement after having a good old, um, after having a great time on delivery suite. Um, I was there from August when we first went back into placement and minus two weeks annual leave. Um, I was then there until like, this is my second week. No, this is my third week now, I think, in postnatal. I can't remember. All the days seem the same. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I'm on postnatal now, which I'm really enjoying. The days are absolutely cray. Like, that, it's just mad. It's just non-stop. Um, the nights are a bit kind of calmer. Um, but still, obviously, women and birthing people need care uh, 24-7. So you're still kind of doing observations my last shift I was I had a little had a little caseload of um, some antenatal ladies um who I looked after throughout the night which was really nice because we all got to know each other and um they were a really lovely bunch they um were having a good old laugh in there um in their bay so that was really nice um because we have antenatal some antenatal ladies on our postnatal wards where I am so yeah that was really good really good experience um but yeah so I'm enjoying it um I'm just getting used to running around a lot more <laughs> I feel like I'm like running around a lot more postnatal and I think people who have been on placement at postnatal will kind of will understand what I mean because it's just yeah you're just running from one thing to the next so but I've really enjoyed it I've um one of the one of our midwives that I work with up there is a feeding specialist midwife. So she actually got me to help her out. I mean, not with the actual doing, but um, observe her doing like tongue tie releases um, and things like that, which is really interesting. Um, and you see the difference almost like instantly with how um, babies feed, um, which is really amazing to see. Um, so, yeah, I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying it, but I do, I do, I do miss it on delivery, I must say. I never thought I'd say that because I was absolutely petrified of the thought of going to delivery suite, but I really, really did enjoy it, really enjoyed it. Um, I got into double figures with my catches, which was good for me, hooray, um, and also have gained a lot of confidence with catheterization. I could even say it properly now. Um, I'm get is I get odd satisfaction from like citing catheters. I don't know why, but I just really enjoy doing it. Um, 
maybe it's a bit weird, but um, other midwifery students will understand that quirk. Um, so yeah, I've been really, really pleased with how that went. And I also received my first ever thank you card and little gift, which was really nice. It almost made me cry, actually. Um, it was uh, from a lady who um, delivered twins. Um, and yeah, it was just a really, really, really sweet card and really lovely little gift, um, which I shall treasure. Um, it's like the card is actually up on my desk because like I have like a little motivation corner on my desk where I have um, my personal statement that I wrote as part of my application and other little bits and pieces, some affirmation cards, positive affirmations to kind of keep me going, which have come in really handy recently because I am really struggling with um, my current written assignment, which is a research critique. I, I just... Every time I sit down to write it, my mind just says, no, like, I can't do it. <laughs> I don't know what it is about this one, but yeah, I'm finding it really, really, really hard to get into writing this one. I think I'm just scared because I know now we've kind of stepped up a level to level five in second year that um, the lecturers need a bit more from us when, by in the way of um, academic writing. So I'm just like, oh, I really want to do well, but I'm also, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a bit of a struggle at the minute. But um, I've also got bits of revision kind of not stacking up, but I have to make sure that I'm kind of trying to stay on top of that. We've got an exam um, for medical conditions in pregnancy. So that's coming up after the Christmas break. And I have a horrible, horrible feeling that that exam is going to be on my birthday it's not bad enough that my birthday is in January, the second week of January, which is when everyone kind of, which is when the post-Christmas, post-festive period depression really hits. But then I've also got, also probably have, I'm hoping this is not a self-fulfilling prophecy, prophecy. I shouldn't really speak it into existence, but I just have a horrible feeling um, that that's what's going to happen. Um, so yeah, I'm not looking forward to that, but... I am trying to stay abreast with my revision. I've been doing, I've been using, I've been, I've started using Anki, 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 however you say that, A-N-K-I, um, to do flashcards for my revision. Um, because apparently the best way to learn and remember things is through um, spaced repetition and active recall. That's it. Spaced repetition and active recall. I can't remember who it was, whose videos I've been watching on YouTube. But he's basically this doctor um, in Cambridge. Really, really clever guy. Um, but he has really good study tips. Um, I can't remember his name. Uh, but I'll put it in the description. Uh, I'll put it in my uh, podcast description bit um, when I remember. But yeah, so I've, I'm giving that a go because... Um, my usual way, my usual method of doing loads of notes and then revising from those is a bit labour intensive. So yeah, I'm trying a different method this time around and see how it works, how that works. So that's what I've been doing study-wise um, this week anyway. So that's, 
uni really um we're still distance learning um and yeah it's just a matter of keeping up with pre and post lecture learning this we get quite a bit of that to do especially with the medical conditions because there's so many uh, to cover um um so yeah i've been working my way through that stuff as well as well basically avoiding my other essay but i need to get that done i need to get that done like asap because there's so many other things going on um so yeah that's uni and other things that have been happening i have managed to get an article published oh my gosh yeah um i have a an article published in the practice in midwife journal which is like oh um I really, really wanted that to happen during my time as a student, but I thought it would happen basically like towards the end. Um, but um, with the support of some of my lecturers and other um, like contacts, other student midwives and um, birth workers who I'm in touch with, they were they gave me so so much encouragement and um, and help with um, writing um that yeah I've managed to get this published and I'm really incredibly proud and but the thing that really shook me was the response I mean like people were messaging me like tweeting um sharing it and I was like I mean I'm not gonna I'm I'm not a I'm not a trumpet my own trumpet blower or anything like that but I mean I thought it was like a pretty good article but um, I think it's because obviously when you write something and you read it so many times, you're like, okay, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> like, but when somebody else reads it and they get so much from it, um, I was just really, really, really pleased with it. And uh, basically, the article was about um, the decolonization of midwifery education because um, there's so many things, and it, it came about because at the height of summer with everything that was happening with you know George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um the Black Lives Matter protests. I think I spoke about it a little like in one of my earlier episodes. Um that yeah, just something inside me just was just awoken. Um and it just I had to kind of act on it. It was just something that just wouldn't kind of leave me alone. <laughs> um and and so I got in touch with the teaching staff um, to kind of make some suggestions as to like reading lists and things like that. And it kind of like snowballed from there, really. Um, and yeah, it's resulted in um, an article with absolutely beautiful artwork, I must say. Um, it is free access. Um, so if you're interested, you can read it. I'll, I've put I'll put a link for that into the um, episode description box as well. But the artwork as well is absolutely amazing. Um, I was really blown away when I saw like the final draft. Um, so yeah, I'm extremely proud of that. Um, really, really happy with that. And that kind of came about, it made me start thinking about um, the, some of the intentions that I set at the beginning of the year. And one of them was to kind of say yes to things and to move push myself out of my comfort zone with things so as a result of this article I have 
been asked to speak at a Midwifery Society um, webinar. Big up you, Clan. Thank you. Um, so I'll be doing that next month, um, which I'm equal parts bricking it, equal parts excited for. That's my usual MO, to be honest with you. I always brick it things. So <laughs> that's just my way of processing things. Um, get a bit scared and then get on with it. Um, so I'll be doing that. And I've also been offered a job with the lovely Little Birth Company. Um, so I will be um, taking on the role of cultural competence and anti-racism education for the instructors coming, being trained with the Little Birth Company, which is amazing. I was approached um, by the, the co-founders, Wendy and Melissa, hi. Um, who are lovely um, and they've been making a real real effort with um, being inclusive and being actively um, actively doing doing the work you know and um, as um, uh, my lovely guest sometimes puts it um, paying black women for their work you know, and I really, really appreciate the opportunity. And yeah, I'm planning on really, really running for, running with that. So yeah, the, that's like a couple of examples of the power of saying yes. Um, because I don't think these opportunities would have found me if I had not bothered to send that email that day when I was just feeling, I was just in my feelings and feeling like, no, I need to do something. Um, so if you feel that feeling in your gut that you that's telling you you know do just like run with this like do it like I can only say just just go with your gut because your gut never lies um and you you never know what can come of it so I've had really really positive um positive things happening as a result of me um scaring myself and uh, doing things that I never thought I would um have the have the balls to do or the ovaries to do the ovaries okay the ovaries um so yeah and another thing um <laughs> um so i've i don't know like if i'm just um if i've got my fingers in too many pies but time will tell time will tell but there is another pie with my finger in it and i've just had some training just now um zoom session training um because i am now well, pending some forms and stuff, I um, am now um, the second chair of the Midwifery Society for my uni, yay, um, which I'm really excited about. I've got quite a few ideas of things, um, events and things that we could potentially put together um, because, yeah, I mean... Um, our cohorts really deserve like yeah some some good stuff so I've got like plenty of ideas and obviously I'll be going out to get some ideas from um, members as well but yeah that's another thing that I intend to do I probably have to clone myself to get some of this stuff done but um it's yeah I'm just trying to see where things will take me kind of thing so um it's it's my passion. This is my passion. I found it. I found my happy place. So I'm just trying to kind of see and do um, as much as I can, really. Um, but don't worry, I will be, you know, if I need to, I'll have to 
step back from things and slow down with things because I know sometimes I can get a bit overwhelmed if I feel like things are getting out of control but um yeah I'm just I'm just really super excited which is why I'm trying to get I'm trying to get involved with all these things because I'm literally at home or on placement or on the school run that's that's it that's it so I'm trying to you know keep my mind stimulated and trying to be social in other ways so yeah so I'm really enjoying that um and what else has been happening so this isn't quite a positive thing in fact it's a very negative thing I must say um the Sainsbury's advert like I had to say something about it you know the one the one with the lovely black family enjoying their gravy Christmas um the advert that so many people have a problem with um and where so many people felt it necessary to take to social media to write some really disturbing horrible just outright disgusting things about how they're going to boycott Sainsbury's because this doesn't represent them and is this still England and blah 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 blah. like really like shut up like shut up I don't understand why why people can feel that that's okay like what is so abhorrent about um a black family um like enjoying Christmas like I don't know I don't know what, why that triggered so many people. Like, <laughs> because people are out here being really triggered. Like, yes, black people are the minority here, but that doesn't not make them British as well. Okay? And it's so funny because, you know, oh, it's fine when we're playing football or singing or dancing, just not diversity. Um, but when it comes to when it comes to having a seat at the table, like literally having a seat at the table, um, you man want to act mad. You want you want to move absolutely crazy, and it just shows. I mean, people will say how, um, oh yeah, Britain's not racist, and it's not ra- It's not as bad as America. Is it really? Are you sure? Like, are you all right? Do you want to check? Do you want to do you want to facts check that? Like, because yeah, they're moving real mad over there, but <laughs> we're no angels over this side of the pond either. This it's not it's not plain sailing for black people here either. So, and that was just like a prime example of that. Um, so the deniers, you know, I'm not racist, but or you know, it's 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 old now. It's tired. Like we have a problem here as well. Okay, we have a problem, even with Chris, even at Christmas, <laughs> even at Christmas. Um, you know, I'm, I just, I can't. No one complains about the dragons or the aliens or the carrots or the, all the other things that are not representative of society. But put a black family on, and people will lose their goddamn minds. They will lose their minds. And I'm loving it. Like, I love the fact that Sainsbury's did that. Um, Because people literally... I have straws for everyone. 
if you, if you listen to Kalechi Say Your Mind uh, podcast, you, you'll you'll get my reference for the straws because, yeah, people can use those straws how they're supposed to be used in this context. Um, another, but a more positive thing is if you follow um, um, uh, someone called Manya Chihuahua on Twitter, like Manya is a comical genius like him Mo Gilligan they are they're like my faves they're my absolute faves so Munya has he has loads of different personas he has like (laughs) he has a newsreader by the name of Barty (laughs) Cruz Barty Cruz um which is just hilarious in itself he also has this um like like (laughs) posh boy drill um MC character called Unknown P and it's so good he's actually been signed by a record like you need to just go and check him out okay because I didn't want to end on a downer I need to end this on a bit of a high go and check out Munya Chihuahua spelled M-U-N-Y-A C-H-A-W-A-W-A um on Twitter you'll see his videos you'll probably recognize some of his videos from um he does like kind of lots of parodies and um, social satire, essentially. Um, but yeah, go and check them out. Um, yeah, and also Mo Gilligan did a, a video recently about um, like reminiscing, like reminiscing on nights out. Remember when you had a night out? Like all the different stages of the night out. So, like the pre-drinks, everybody pre-drinks, but obviously there's always someone that's really late, and you're trying to like get 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 the ETA and when they're going to get here then when you get to the club and then when you know just it's just brilliant even after the club when someone's asking for your number and da 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 it's just like he is so 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 good at um like social observation like nobody is as good as him maybe Jane Austen in her skills of social observation <laughs> but um yeah he's amazing um uh, they're both amazing so yeah go and check them out if you want a bit of a laugh um, but yeah, that's all. That's all. Mommy, mommy, mommy. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm struggling right now with, <laughs> with my spawn. I'm really having that. She wants things a certain way. She wants things her own way, obviously. Um being the princess that she is uh, but she's becoming really quite forceful with it to, to the point where she's now doing the, mm, mm, and the throwing things and the air kicking and I can't I just cannot I can't, I just yeah most times I just have to like walk away um because the level of sass is just too much but then she's equally she's she's an equal part sassy and sensitive so there's like a very fine line that she treads she'll be really cross one minute and then the next minute she'll just burst into tears um and i just have to be kind of try to remain as calm as possible because i don't want to blow up every time she starts giving me attitude because it just makes the situation worse i've just come to realize it makes the situation just worse when there's two stubborn people butting heads it's just yeah 
it's not going to work really um so that i'm finding really quite hard at the minute so if anyone out there has you know some gentle parenting tips for when your little person has got attitude like serious attitude uh, i would love to hear some suggestions because yeah that bit's really hard at the minute um, what I'm also finding hard is the with placements and stuff like that is the the inevitable guilt that um, when I have to go in through the night for a night shift and I won't really see her properly until the next day or maybe even the day after if I'm doing two nights in a row um, which I tend to do actually which I tend to get more often than not um, it's just that, that that horrible oh mommy please don't go and it just like oh it makes you like feel like you're crumpling up on the inside but um, it won't be for long and um, it's for the greater good it's all for the greater good but it's a real struggle um, when it feels like we as a family we're just kind of well we're, we're winging it 100% winging it because our nanny situation fell through not sure if I mentioned that yeah our nanny situation fell through like two days before she was due to start but we've actually been managing okay without the nanny so we've managed to save ourselves a bit of money but it's been difficult because my other half is a shift worker as well so we're coming and going when one of us is it's like we're tag we're tag teaming in and out and so the other day uh, my other half was off for like the weekend which was very rare um and so was I I think for at least one day of the weekend so it was like she was like all three of us are at home together and she was like so excited and it was just so cute but really sad as well because yeah it's not a regular occurrence uh for us but um yeah short-term pain for long-term gain so that's what I'm dealing with at the minute like just struggling with remaining gentle in the face of attitude from hell <laughs> um and with a sprinkling of mum guilt on top so yeah it's going great it's going great but we did have a really cute lockdown lockdown birthday for her and uh, she turned five and yeah we had i'd requested that day off from from placement and my other half had the day off so we stayed at home we opened presents we had like um like a birthday party food I know she went to school that morning she opened some presents before she went to school and opened some more when she got back we had glow sticks we had like a zoom happy birthday singing with friends and family which was lovely um and yeah she had a really good birthday she kept saying how it was the best day ever which is just the cutest thing very excited she loved all her presents and yeah it was just really nice um for her to for her seeing that she enjoyed her day because I was just like oh I planned like a day out and this and that and taking her to a restaurant for her birthday dinner because this kid loves restaurants I think I've created a bit of a monster there uh <laughs> she loves her sushi she loves her Asian food she loves she loves eating out so yeah I think that may be my fault but I'm not apologizing I'm not apologizing um I think it's awesome um just a bit expensive <laughs> um but yeah so she had a lovely birthday which was really good um but yeah but i'm i'm really i'm honestly really reaching out for some um parenting advice 
when it comes to the attitude problem because I don't think I'm dealing with it very well. I get annoyed and then I just kind of shut down and then just walk away, which is not really the best way. But when she act, when she actively covers her ears when I start talking, that's when I'm like, okay, no, this isn't, yeah, this isn't it. This isn't it. So we shall persevere because we must. Um, and... Um, yeah we'll see how that goes but that's that's a quick quick roundup of how parenting is going <laughs> at the minute so hope you're having more fun than me <laughs>
Oh. Uh, second birth. So maybe what I should say is I dislike the fact that I wasn't mentioned enough though I was mentioned. <laughs> That's a terrible thing. Um, the second book that I've just finished as well, because obviously got to keep two on the go, We Live for the We, The Political Power of Black Motherhood by Danny McLean. And Danny McLean, um, Danny McLean's book is really, really very good. She is the mother of, in the book anyway, an 18-month to two-year-old. And she talks about how, just how political black mother motherhood is when you're looking at education, resources, play dates, places that you live, how society views little black girls because she has a, a black daughter mm. and how it's changed things within her. Um, what I disliked about it... Again, actually, I've done really, I've done really well with the last couple of books that I've read because I've really enjoyed this one. Um, what did I dislike about it? Nothing. I mean, it's American. It's set in America, but we don't have anything that even begins to come close over here in the UK for a, a book like that. Wow. So yeah. So I just, I don't know, I've just really enjoyed them both, but I'm, I'm getting better and better at not reading things that drive me insane. <laughs> Which leads nicely into the next question. So what three, thing, three things even bring you joy? Well, my instinctive answer is red, red wine. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, the three things that, that bring me joy, well... <laughs> Uh, let's bring in the family because you know but particularly and especially and yeah I don't care if my kids here especially my grandbabies my first grandbaby Raphael and my adopted grandbaby Kobe so they bring me complete and total joy they've both just started walking and toddling they've both just turned one and they're hilarious so that brings me joy that and seeing their mothers really stepping into their instinctual motherhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, red wine definitely brings me particularly <laughs> when it's uh, matched with a really good steak dinner or I'm somewhere like one of my favourite restaurants, Jones and Sons in Dalston or pretty much any of the Hawksmoor restaurants mm-hmm. because people that know how to feed me meat, I'm going to love eternally. <laughs> The third thing that brings me joy, oh gosh, I mean, I've got like a hundred things that bring me joy because I've spent, I've spent the last, what am I, 53, so I've spent the last 23, no, not 23 years yet, no, yes, 23 years, I spent the last, no, 28 years, sorry, I spent the last 28 years cutting the things out of my life that don't bring me joy, so the third thing that brings me joy is, um, Laughing with people, just being with people. There we go. Three short, succinct answers there. For <laughs> Thank you very much, Mars. Next question is, if you were a WWE superstar, what would be your entrance music? Golden, Jill Scott. Living my life like I'm golden. Oh, such a tune, I love it. Such a tune. Either that or woman. Oh, such powerful powerful souls but I think I'm gonna also by Jill Scott but I think I'm gonna go with golden living my life like I'm golden good pick good pick now um I've got a set of would you rather questions 
Um, and these are all kind of random, random type questions that I like to think a little bit. So, would you rather be able to take back anything you say or hear any conversation that is about you? Oh, I don't give a rat's ass about it. You know, um, you know you're doing well by the arrows in your back. Um, Yeah, there there are a couple of things I kind of wish that I, I could take back. Things that, they're not even things that I don't believe. They're just things that I said in the wrong moment at the wrong time and with the wrong attitude. Mm. So, yeah, so if I'm going to do one of the two, I'm going to take back something that I shouldn't have said. And as to the rest of it, yes, say what you like. I'm living (laughs) my life like I'm golden. Golden, baby, golden. Lovely. So that's it for the getting to know you questions. When everyone switches off, they're like, well, she's a cow. and we're gonna head um into our main topic main conversation yeah so as um you as listeners may already know mars is a um has been a birth worker is a doula and a doula educator um so this is going to be what we're going to talk about really um so first question mars is what what led you into birth work and becoming a birth worker nosiness (laughs) <laughs> I the twins were tiny and um there was a coffee morning at school a mum that did sort of sold aromatherapy creams and Tupperware and did all sorts so she would just have these regular coffee mornings and I'm not a massive fan of coffee mornings but I had to I had twin babies and I knew that if I went to this coffee morning everyone would get excited and take the twins and I'd be able to drink a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and have a bit of cake peace and quiet I wasn't actually that interested in the conversation of the people around me so I I arrive the babies are taken off just as I expected and um I'm sat eating a bit of cake and drinking some tea and listening to a woman talking to another woman about being a doula mm. and I thought oh so a doula supports people through birth well I supported my sister when my niece was born years before that um and I supported a friend four years prior to this conversation when her son was born I could do that so I got a bit nosy she talked about training with Michelle O'Dont and Liliana Lamas who are just brilliant incredible workers so I signed up and I looked at it and I thought well it costs x amount to to do this course it's recommended that I join this doula organisation who have said that I can only charge X amount. So if I do three to four births, I'll have made my money back. And if I don't like it, I can do four births if I don't like it. And we'll be fine. First birth I did, I came out and I remember thinking, why are cars and trucks and trains still running? Why are people walking up and down the road? Don't they know what has just happened in this space behind me how are you not all bowing down in awe at creation you know and um 16 plus years later I still feel the same about birth Mm -hmm. so I'm thinking that you know I didn't I didn't look to make my money back after four births and leave Mm -hmm. I just embraced it and um 
have loved pretty much every moment of it. Amazing. But that, that feel, I, I, when you just described the way you just described that feeling after um, being present for that birth, that is like exact, that's exactly how I feel. Like I was like, after my first witness, I was w- walking on air, like for days and days after. I was just like, um, and every time, every single time, it's every like, time. Like, oh. <laughs> You just want to grab someone and say, do you know what just happened? <laughs> just see. <laughs> yeah. feel the earth shift? <laughs> yeah, I still feel like that now. In fact, um, with the doulas that I train, I, I love it when they, they sort of get in touch and a call or email to say, oh, I've just done my first birth and I hear myself again and again and again in that excitement. Oh, beautiful. So you mentioned that you work as a doula. For those who don't know, what, how would you describe what a doula is and what they do? Probably the easiest way is a, a birth companion, someone that walks with you through pregnancy, through labour and birth, and through the postnatal, the postpartum period. Someone who is an emotional, physical and spiritual support Um, people often say to me, so you're like a midwife? And I say, no, not like a midwife because um, midwives do clinical things as part of their duties and doulas don't do anything clinical or medical. So, and I remember trying to explain it to my mum who said, you mean to tell me they pay you to do nothing? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) mum. There are levels of nothing. (laughs) So yes, so it's it's walking alongside your the families that you're with. It's a bit like um, it's often been described as you're climbing a mountain and you have your mountain guide or your Sherpa with you, who mm. sort of shows you. Look, here are the different paths. You know, this path could lead to this. This path could lead to the other. And it's about believing that the birthing person, that this woman, that this parent is able to birth their baby knowing that they make informed choices it's about signposting um people to make sure they get good support etc and someone said well how's that different from giving advice and I said well if you're sign if you're driving along in your car and you see a signpost the signpost points to where the next uh, different direct different uh, destinations are it doesn't jump into the car with you and say, mm-hmm. take a left, yeah. <laughs> take left, go straight, third on the right, you know. So it's signposting. So very much it's about walking alongside and supporting and being that sort of objective soul that loves your client dearly. Or, and when it comes to postnatal work, I say, I describe it as being your mother without the politics. Yes, that's so lovely. And I was about to say, like the the I mean, I really enjoy postnatal, but there's just never enough time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the really important um roles of a doula, like postnatal doulas, is that that postnatal period, that fourth trimester, yeah, there's still so much going on and the, um parents often get discharged really early from midwifery care and I'm just thinking oh that's not always a bad thing no well no (laughs) (laughs) but they need that kind of ongoing support to get through that you know that fourth trimester because that is like 
a trip on, in itself. Um, well, yeah, you're in a you're in a whole other country now. It's like you know you you're in Narnia. Like it's, well, yeah, well, maybe you were sort of uh, not pregnant, then you were pregnant, and now you've whoa, who's this? Someone's coming under the whole <laughs> human. That depends. Not only have I got to keep them al- alive, I've got to to nourish, nurture, and care for them and bring them up. You know, and it's difficult because we no longer live in villages in the same way our villages are separated by bricks and mortar and we're all closed in our extended family particularly at a time like now when we have a pandemic when people can't just be freely with you to support you and so it's harder for new parents just now to so a doula is someone who really just as with birth a postnatal doula will guide you, encourage you to listen to your instinctual parental self, which isn't as easy as it sounds because when you first have a baby, you're not quite sure what you're doing, you know, or some people hit the ground running and do brilliantly well. But learning to listen to your instinctual self when everyone around you is telling you that you should be doing something different, you know, and, and not hearing what you're saying. So it's it's being with you, nurturing you, nourishing you, being part of that journey with you and recognising as a doula that as with birth, it's a tiny moment in someone's life, but a very significant moment, one that we have to handle with grace, dignity and care. Absolutely, absolutely. It, is. <clears throat> it just shifts your whole, whole existence, basically. It certainly does. Um, so, yeah, very important work that doulas do. Um, and for anyone who knows what doulas do and is actually be would actually be interested in becoming a doula, how do they go about that? So you find yourself a, do, a doula training course. Doula training course is not necessary um, to to become a doula, but I do think they're important because you get uh, more of an idea of what it is. It's not as simple as I think the, when. Uh, the Duchess of Sussex said she was um, thinking of getting a doula um, and having doula support. They, the press called it hand-holding, and it's, it's hand-holding in the same way that I do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a whole other kind of um, hand-holding. And so you learn about the physiology of birth. You, you learn... Uh, partly about how to counsel, how to be objective, how to be, how to support different people in different birth settings and where they are. You also get the opportunity to talk through and share and debrief your own birthing experiences so that you're not taking that into the the birth room with you, with your client, and, and debrief your postnatal experiences so that you're not saying, well, this happened to me, therefore it will happen to you type thing you I think that that being a doula is is ongoing training so for example at Abuela Doulas we offer a four-day face-to-face course currently it's online but it's still face-to-face it's not um, pre-recorded modules that you sort of sit and learn at your own pace it's involved interactive discussion etc and storytelling and you get a pre-course module, you're looking through the different physiologies and pathologies of birth, etc. And then you have the four-day face-to-face, then you do a post-course module, you've got a reading list to encourage your reading. And at the end of the course, 
I highly recommend and strongly recommend that the the doulas then pick up other forms of further training and learning whether it's webinars workshops books they're reading that they network that they learn together because in the 16 plus years I've been doing this I learn something new at every birth Mm. and it's like I've been to hundreds of births hundreds of births over the years and I learn something new every time every time so being a doula is an ongoing learning process. So within Abuela Doulas, as well as training the doulas, we have a mentoring program that we encourage people to join and so that they've got an, an experienced birth worker beside them that they can bounce things off of, someone that will encourage them or kick their butt. Their, their butt needs kicking, but, you know, mm-hmm. someone who's just there to be with them. So becoming a doula is about, finding the right fit for you in the same way that as a doula, you and your clients have got to make sure that you're the right fit for each other. It's finding a doula training course that is the right fit for you. Does it tick all of the boxes, all of the things that are important to you? Is it culturally safe? Is it inclusive? Is it diverse? Is it going to challenge you and your mind? Is it going to open you up to supporting all different types of people and not and be able to do more than just say, oh, yes, I support this type of person? Do you actually know how you're supporting them, how the cultural mores work, etc.? Is this, are you someone that likes to learn in a very sort of student, teacher, professor type way, whiteboard? lots of information being thrown at you are you someone who likes to learn in a more experiential talking storytelling kind of way so you just you sort of work out what works best for you and then that's what you do um but I think whatever doula training that you do and obviously I'm going to suggest you do mine uh, whatever doula training that you do the important thing is that you recognize that this is just the beginning of your journey and the learning is something that you should be continually doing. And at Abuela Doulas, we offer extra workshops. We bring in other people to teach and run different workshops. We show you um, where new learning opportunities are all the time. Fabulous. Awesome. So that's Abuela Doulas people. Go and look it up. Um, so, Mars, you mentioned about, you touched on briefly about um, being culturally aware, having cultural competence for people that you are um, actually working with, the clients that you work with. And that's something I feel that is really, really important um, for student midwives to observe as well um, in that um, our course um and the places that we are in placement of the populations that we serve and the people that we people we work with very culturally diverse um and one of the things that um i kind of notice is that we don't have as a cohort i'm talking very very generally generally um that much experience people don't necessarily have that much experience with either socializing with people from different cultures or just knowing people from different cultures and I think 
sometimes that can impact on the care that we give not definitely not purposefully but it's just that awkward feeling like oh you know if there's some sort of language barrier in the way that kind of puts a, a break on some people where um they just kind of clam up and don't really know what to do and so it just becomes more and more awkward and obviously that can be perceived as um something different to the people that you're actually caring for mm. so what kind of advice would you give for students in that respect you know tips on how to just be more open and um with people who you might not necessarily have worked with or well the first thing is to check yourself (laughs) what's the song say check yourself before you wreck yourself (laughs) true indeed (laughs) so as you, you as you meet someone what comes up in you and everyone's going well nothing I mean I don't see color I don't see this I don't well that's a a mistake because you really should because we should all be celebrated so let's not pretend that we don't see what's blindingly obvious in front of us let's just not discriminate because of it if you you feel yourself moving towards a judgment towards this person check yourself breathe in why do I feel like this so a simple example Um, society tells us, I didn't say it's true, society tells us, the narrative out there, is that black women are aggressive and angry. I recently did a um, cultural competency workshop that I was running, Mm -hmm. and people were challenged, and people were upset, because when you're talking about racism, it's not going to be a pretty conversation. And immediately, we got... The response that I've heard my entire life. You're so angry. You're upsetting people. If you told them in a different way, it would be easier. And, and the uh, white woman, Nicola Goodall, white Muslim woman that I run these courses with, she said, let's use this as a teaching moment. She said, shall we see just how easy it is to take a calm and eloquent black woman's words and accuse her of anger and aggression when she's been none of those things. So when a a black parent questions the things that you want to do with, with them whilst they're giving birth, questions whether or not they want to go down a certain pathway with you, why... When that, oh, why does she have to be so angry? Mm. Question that. Pause, check yourself, think about it. When you talk to someone and you think, oh, gosh, good, they're nice and compliant, which means I can do X, Y, Z. Check yourself, think, wait, why am I having these thoughts? Where does it come from? What does it mean for this woman? When white women ask for things, when white women don't like things, when white women complain about things, they're listened to and heard. But when someone black or brown does it, they're being obstreperous, they're not playing along, they're not following the rules, they're not doing what's expected of them. When a black woman isn't smiling, it's like, well, why is she so grumpy? Well, we're not minstrels, we're not here for your (laughs) entertainment. We shouldn't have a a grin plastered on our face just so that you feel happy and comfortable. Mm. When our partners come in, 
our male partners come in, what is it that makes you think, oh, I better be careful of this one? Or when he advocates for his partner, why is our thought that he's being aggressive and he's being rude and he's being disruptive and she's being non-compliant or they are being angry? Check yourself. Think about these things. I think we have to go into these these situations, these new relationships, because as a midwife, whether you're with them for the whole 12 and a half hours or you're just with them for two or three hours, this is a new relationship that's formed. So when you're in that relationship with them, check your bias. Be deliberately conscious mm-hmm. of where your thoughts take you and why. Studies show that medical students still believe that black people are much better at dealing with pain than white people. The narrative that we see in films, in stories, in news reports, in commercials, you've got these strong black women. She's black, she's strong, they're babies, they're strong. But we have the same strength as the others do. But because you have this unspoken, and you probably don't even know you have it, because that's how ingrained it is within society. When you're thinking, well, I don't see why she's coming, she should be able to cope with that. Would you think to yourself, actually, would I say that if that was a white woman, a white person behaving like that? When they ask me a question, why am I assuming because she's brown that she's submissive and compliant and she's being ruled with an iron rod by her partner, by her husband. Why am I thinking, why do those things come into my mind? Why is it that I allow myself to be in conversations with others that say, oh, well, those people, well, they, oh, I see that you've got, and they do this. And I'm not just talking about colour of skin and ethnicity. I'm talking about the different class structures. Why do, we, why do we assume that black and brown faces mean they're going to be a little bit stupid in a system that already infantilizes women when they go into birth their babies and then we infantilize them some more? Where do our assumptions come from? So pause and take a breath. Every person is a, is a, a new slate. I heard a woman say she would never work with a black, she would never have a black midwife again because the bad experience that she had was with a black midwife. Mm. But she wouldn't say that about a white midwife. Know that um, black midwives are far more likely to be reported and suspended than white midwives not because of things that they've done that aren't right, but because it's perceived or because someone's nose has been put out of joint or because this black woman has stepped out of her place and asked a question or decided that she disagrees with me. Listening to a fantastic South Asian midwife talk to the Royal College of Midwives 
And she says that there have been times when, as the most senior person in the room, she is still questioned in a way that no one else is questioned. Mm. Show me your credentials, your qualifications, what makes you able to say and do this. So it's a very long answer to sort of give to student midwives who are now going, oh, God, Mars, we can't do all of that. We've got all <laughs> to do. So just simply check yourself. Pause. And remember that the person you're dealing with is a human being mm-hmm. and that you know nothing about this human being apart from what you've got written on a piece of paper on your notes. And even those things are just other people's perception. You've decided or it's been decided that this person is high risk. How do you make their high risk pregnancy, which they may simply be high risk for not conforming to the white Eurocentric standards of weight, Mm. or they may have just had their 40th birthday that morning, which tips them into. So how do you treat them as a human being? And how do you ensure that they get grace and dignity, however they birth their baby? And how do you make sure that you consent them properly? And consenting someone properly is not simply getting their consent It's making sure they know the information around it and that they know they don't have to consent, that they can decline. And it's not being attached to their answer. So feeling like, oh, but I've been told I've got to get them consented and they haven't done it and therefore I have failed and therefore I will do something else. Maybe just looking at them as human beings that actually know that they can say, I agree, that's not for me. Brilliant. That's that's brilliant. Thank you, Mask. So, <clears throat> going to move on slightly to another big question that I had um, that I've been thinking about, and it's um, in light of the Embrace reports, both reports, both the 2018 and 2019 um, reports. Have you noticed? Obviously, they discuss the outcomes for um, Black women and birthing people in the UK, and how they're five times more likely to. Consequence of complications during pregnancy and the perinatal period, which is horrific. Um, at first, I was absolutely gobsmacked at the lack of awareness um, around it. That was 2018, the end of 2018. And steadily, there's been more um, awareness being raised and people are talking about it more. Um, but we're yet to see what's being done, really. Um, you know what's being done. More <laughs> research. The same research that's been being done for the last 40, 50 years since this topic has been high in the minds and the mouths and the words of black and brown people who are continually bringing this conversation to the table, who are continually talking about it. You're talking about the Embrace reports of 2018 and 2019. Well, just a few years before that, we were three times more likely to die in the perinatal period. Now we're five plus times more likely to die. Now we're in the middle of a pandemic where the witnesses have been thrown out of the birthing room. So bad practice is able to proliferate. Mars, how dare you say that? We're such kind and loving and generous people. I'm sure that you are and you are and you are, but there are some who are not. And my inbox is full and my phone is full and my text messaging are full. 
and the conversations that I have with people about the way that they've been treated as black and brown people, which was already bad, which has gotten worse within the pandemic, talking to, despite hearing from the, from the Royal College of Obs and Gynecologists, from hearing from the Royal College of Midwives about black women, about the fact that because we know they're more likely to die, because we know they're at higher risk, that we need to listen to them if they present, for example, with breathlessness, because we know that cardiac issues are a problem. And when you hear continually of black and brown women that have been to see the doctor and the midwife to be told, no, it's just a normal part of pregnancy, goodbye. When we see a beautiful um, black influencer, Nicole Thea, who dies at eight months pregnant and her unborn son dies when she presented to the midwife with breathlessness, where her videos talked about her breathlessness and the pain she was feeling inside of her body and to tell her it's just normal, it's just natural. You just, it's just a, a part of pregnancy. No investigation, no moment to look at it. When you hear the stories or you have someone on the phone who's crying to you saying, Mars, I've been to the doctor five times because I've been fitting since my baby was born and the doctor keeps saying it's stress, you know. So is there an, in, in, you know, is, is there more awareness that needs? that needs to happen clearly but what we need is we need to move beyond just conversation we're so good I was on um I was on the the school PTA I was the chair of the school PTA and I noticed very quickly that all people did was have conversations for conversation's sake in fact I've been on boards and trusts as well where people just have lots of conversations and they feel like they're doing something because they're having lots of conversations, but actually nothing is happening. No action is happening. So we've got this awareness. We're telling black women to speak up in a system that doesn't hear them, that erases them, that doesn't see them. So we're telling them to speak up. So in a sense, we're blaming them for their own uh, sort of risks and, and ill health and death. And we're telling them to speak up to people that don't want to hear them or have been trained not to listen and to hear them. And we're having all of these conversations, and what are we doing? Where are the actions? What are the action points? Some of you have the privilege to be able to sit and listen. And that's great. But when does your listening turn into action? What one small action can you do to make things better? How can you begin to be a catalyst of change within your trust, within your shift, within your home, within your life, within your family? So we're talking about it all the time and we're calling for more research and more research. And so I get, well, not so much anymore because I think people have heard me talk about it too much now. I, I get white midwives all the time emailing me. I'm doing my PhD, Mars. I'm doing my master's, Mars. Can you tell me about black maternal mortality? No, I can't because all of the information is out there. Mm. I'm not going to do your work and not be cited in your work for you to write a PhD that's going to be dusty on a shelf. 
Meanwhile, black and brown people are dying because no one is taking action. We look to what we, if, if one more person says, yes, but we've got Jackie Dunkley-Bent, who's a wonderful woman. We've got Jackie Dunkley-Bent. Why are we expecting one lone black woman to close the gap in the disparities? Why are we not looking at the system and the structure? You see, the system is doing exactly the job it was designed to do, and it was not designed for black and brown people. So it's not designed for us to survive and thrive. In fact, if you look at maternity, maternity wasn't even, the system wasn't even designed for birthing women. It was designed for doctors. I do a, um, I did a webinar recently, again with Nicola Goodall of Red Tent Doulas, mm -hmm. talking about the racist and misogynistic roots of obstetrics and gynaecology. And we're doing a bigger workshop because it's such a huge topic. Mm -hmm. um, the the next one in January, looking at the roots of this. And when you look at the roots of obstetrics and gynecology, is it any wonder it's where it is right now? So the system is doing the thing that it was designed to do. So what actions are we taking to change that system, to dismantle and rebuild that system so that it's a system where people of all shades and all sizes and all genders and sexualities are able to come through and birth with grace mm -hmm. and dignity. Where's the system that puts into place support for midwives so that if you're a black midwife, of course you can get to band seven and above. Oh wait, no, I look across the trusts and where are my band seven black midwives and above? who are, you know, so the system is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And it's not there to benefit you if you are of a different hue, if you are black or brown, whether you're a midwife or a birthing person coming into the system. So I think I probably interrupted your question, but the research is there. Mm. We need to lift up that mirror and we need to have those uncomfortable conversations. I know that our COG have um, released their, or our, have set out a Race Matters task force. Yeah. And my hope is that in doing so, people are represented within it and it's not another white down initiative. What will that task force bring us? How can we support that task force? How can we hold that task force accountable so that we know that black and brown people are able to birth with grace and dignity, that the system is holding itself accountable and is looking to change? Mm. Thank you. That was really good. And um, the end of that question was going to be... Um, have you yourself noticed, or the doulas that you work with, have you noticed um, a rise in people requesting doula support, uh, particularly black and brown women and birthing people? Have you noticed that recently? So in the, yes, in the last few years. I mean, I was always getting questions. People would, when I belonged to that doula organisation that 
didn't prove to be a safe space for black and brown people. But when I was there, they would always point to me as the black doula. They would always ask me where the black doulas were. People drop into my inbox, into my blogs, everywhere to ask me for support, where to find support. Mm. Black and brown, the black and brown communities are beginning to recognise the value of having that independent birth support and not just handing themselves into a system that doesn't hear them or see them. So yes, and I'm really, I'm really glad of it because one of the main reasons that I set up Abuela Doulas was to train more black and brown women and people to support, you know, to support others in birth. It's not exclusively for black and brown people because I do feel that we need the white doulas that understand cultural competency, that have the fire in their belly to make sure that they're not doing a top-down white saviour serving mm. of, of people and cultures, but they're aware of the need and the disparities and they're aware of the things that they can do and they can change within their own practice to ensure that should they get black and brown clients, they're, they're adequately served and held safely. So, yes, so there is an increase yeah. and yeah and I'm pleased about that and I you know I know that I'm doing my best to get as many out there as possible but not just getting them out there for the sake of being black and brown not having them on my course for the sake of being black or brown mm-hmm. but because black people are dying in the perinatal period and mm-hmm. we do better when we are represented a study in America showed that black babies were 50% less likely to be treated by white doctors um, and prescribed medications, etc. But their chances of survival dramatically increase when they're treated by black doctors. Representation matters. It really does. It really does. And that's one of the, just one of the reasons why I decided to get back into education and become a midwife. It was because I, I consider myself, it shouldn't really be like this but I consider myself very lucky in Mm. having I had amazing midwives it was a small continuity team um that I was looked after by and um I just I was absolutely blown away by how just how good they were how open-minded they were they listened to me Mm. we worked around certain things that I wasn't really happy with during pregnancy and I just felt like that was just, that should be the case for everyone. And I was absolutely horrified. I think obviously I went into that with rose tinted goggles, definitely. But then I started hearing stories from friends and family about the horrible experiences they were having. Mm. And that, that was like, okay, this is not right. Um, I lived in a place, I lived in, that's when I was still living in Peckham. Hmm. which has very high African, Afro-Caribbean community, like population even. And um, I went to kind of the baby cafe, baby brasseries, because I was breastfeeding. Hmm. I was the only black person there. Hmm. I went to this coffee morning or that children, I was the only, but I'm like, I live in Peckham, but where are all the other black mums like where are they all and I found that was I was given information about this if I ever asked for oh where would I find this my midwives were very forthcoming and I'm I went to a stay and play session and got talking to um, a couple of mums that's the first time I was actually in a place where there was more than two black mums <laughs> and 
And I was like, oh, yeah, so she was breastfeeding as well. And I was, you know, asking her how it was going. She was like, oh, I was really struggling at first. And I was like, oh, you, you know, there's like these baby brasserie cafes you could like drop into. She's like, I had no idea. No one told me about this. No one told me about that. And I was just like, but why? Why? She was doing great. She was, her, her little one was nearly a year. So she, she, she'd done absolutely brilliantly and kept persevering. But it's like, why at that very beginning is when you need all that help and that it wasn't offered. It wasn't even offered. And there's I, an assumption that we won't breastfeed because there's an assumption that we have 100 babies by 100 different fathers. There's an assumption that we just don't care enough and we won't do it well enough. There's an unspoken assumption about us. When you talk to a woman who said, a black woman who says she noticed all these white women going into a room and she called the midwife over and said, what's going on in that room? Oh, that's okay. That's the breastfeeding room. It happens. I'd never do that, Mars. I can't believe that you say that this happens. Seriously, people, listen, if you're listening to this podcast, if we know that the system is unjust, if we know that there's racism in the police force, in the justice system, in the education system, why on earth wouldn't there be racism within maternity and the medical system? If we know that implicit bias, and let's call it what it is, implicit racism, unconscious racism, if we know that that is within society and within people, why wouldn't it be within the world in which you walk? It's not enough to pat yourself on your back because you are non-racist you swim in a pool of racism and racism continues and proliferates around you how are you going to be anti-racist how are you going to disrupt that pool how are you going to make sure that every person in your care has a graceful dignified birth Mm -hmm. that's the end game that's the end goal that's what that's what every birth worker should want and should be working towards. Yeah. Um, but we can't, as you say, we can't forget to work on ourselves whilst mm. we do that. And let's, you know, let's remember how important it is that there is representation through all levels of this work that we do. Black and brown doulas, midwives, doctors, consultants, managers, CEOs, decision makers. Let's find a way to work within ourselves to enable ourselves to see and to hear people. Let's not keep telling them to speak up in a world and system that doesn't want to hear them. Let's be the people that see and hear them. Even if you are the only one who sees and hears that person in the Here's that person within your care. You will have changed two lives, three lives, a family's life. You would have changed your life, their life, the life of their child. You know, the only way this work starts is when you do it. And it's not for me as a black woman to tell you as a white student how to stop your racism, your implicit racism, your implicit bias. It's an investigation that you need to take. You, I can own, only you can answer the question as to why you won't change the systems and structures designed to benefit you and punish me. Only you can answer that. Absolutely. 
So people, we've got work to do. Mars, thank you so, so much. This has been an excellent discussion. Um, I wish we could chat all day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> got a night shift. So you can get yourself some dinner. Okay. <laughs> but thank you ever so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's been a joy. And I look forward to hearing it. And um, yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Black Mom to Midwife podcast. Catch me over on Instagram to keep up with my midwifery journey and stay up to date with all upcoming podcast episodes.